thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Cleveland 5, Pirates 3. The Cleveland Indians sweep the three-game summer camp series against the Pirates. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan. And while local radio is talking about, I don't know, shoulda, woulda, couldas with the Cleveland Browns head coach, I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing that I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And it's great to see, well, we didn't get to see, because they bumped up the time of the game by two hours to avoid weather. Something we'll see if they do in the regular season, because now they have that flexibility. They don't have to worry about fans getting into the gate, getting into the stadium. So they bump up the game by two hours, and for some reason, the Pittsburgh uh, TV station decided not to cover the game anymore which means our home broadcasters couldn't cover the game anymore, which means the only broadcast of the game last night was the Pirates radio station covering the game. And what an interesting listen that was. So let's jump into the box score. Again, the Indians win 5-3, to three, nine hits for the Indians, seven hits for the Pirates. Aaron Savali gets the win. Holland gets the loss, takes the loss for the Pirates. And Karinczak actually gets a save on this one. So that was cool to see. For the Indians, the hitters, a lot of damage done from the top of the lineup. Those switch hitters that everybody's talking about. Hernandez has a multi-hit game. Jose Ramirez has a multi-hit game. Santana has a multi-hit game. And then uh, the bottom of the lineup was pretty quiet. Nothing, even the replacements that came in, six through nine, didn't really do much with a lot of strikeouts. So, okay. It's going to happen. We all know where the strength of this team is, and the strength of this team is one through five. Those guys will contribute. There will be nights where Luplo and Domingo Santana's and Perez and Mercado's will pick up the slack. But if the top of the lineup's cooking and the pitching staff is going good, then maybe it's enough to win. Speaking of that pitching staff, let's take a look here. Savali went five innings, four hits, two earned runs, six strikeouts. His two earned runs came on a home run that he gave up to Josh Bell. And from Pittsburgh, really, the only damage they did against us was from Josh Bell. Uh, Gerard Dyson also had an RBI double late in the game. But really, it was Bell. He had two hits, a home run, and a double. And you could tell that, I mean, that's... That's really the only thing this Pittsburgh lineup has going for it is Bell on the four hole. Uh, there's going to be some other guys. You know, Moran might hit for a good average. Uh, Frazier can hit a little bit. But really, Josh Bell is going to be the source of offense for the Pirates this year who are probably not going to have a very good year. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle for them. But getting back to that pitching matchup, the Pirates did let their starter, Derek Holland, who's a veteran, go three innings, which seemed long for them. But he did throw... 61 pitches, uh, gave up five hits, three three runs, two earned, a walk, and two strikeouts. And then their bullpen came in. Crick uh, gave up a solo home run to uh, Jose Ramirez, but then settled down and got three strikeouts for them. Our bullpen, interesting situation from our bullpen. So Plucko comes in first, gets a, has a clean inning, gets a hold. Hand comes in, actually gets into some trouble, gives up two hits. Like I said, he gave up that double to Gerard Dyson. And gives up a run, but he did strike out three. So he did strike out the side. But from the way their broadcast was making it sound, didn't sound like Hand was locating his pitches that well. It didn't sound like that breaking ball, that slider that usually is pretty devastating for him, was really breaking where he wanted it to. So that is something we're going to have to keep an eye on because I know Indians fans were a little bit curious 
how Brad Hand was going to bounce back. He struggled at the end of last year. I had high hopes going into the season, but we've seen this before. We've seen where closers just they lose it. Something something just disappears for them, right? They just lose it for a second, for her for a season. Sometimes they lose it for their career. We've seen it with uh, Cody Allen, right? I mean, just it just disappeared on him. Uh, even Andrew Miller is more injury, right? More injuries to his legs and stuff like that. So you can't really blame him too much for that. Um, if you remember Vinny Pistano, right? For a few seasons, Vinny Pistano was lights out. And uh, he just it just lost it. And, of course, we ended up getting Mike Clevenger in a trade with the Angels for him. So, hey, works out for us. But, I mean... It's worth asking, is Brad Hand going to be one of these guys who was a lights-out closer for many years, and it just disappears on him? He just loses that edge, loses that touch. And then Simber comes in, pitches a clean inning. Actually, a really efficient inning from Simber. He only threw 12 pitches, 8 for strikes, got one strikeout, and had a perfectly clean inning. And then Karinczak comes in in the ninth, and this is what we're going to have to live with with Karinczak, because... He gives up two walks, no hits, but he gets himself, and then he works a full count against the last hitter and really looked like he was going to load the bases there in the ninth and reach a pitch limit, which would have created an interesting situation because nobody was up warming in the bullpen. And the teams had already agreed that if a pitcher hits their pitch count, they're just going to walk off the field because there's no point in stressing any of their players in these summer camp games. So how would you have felt as a Pirates fan? How would you have felt as a Pirates player if you had the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning, down two runs, and the other team just walked off the field. I don't know if that would have happened. I guess we still had James Hoyt out there in the bullpen who maybe could have gotten up and got him loose to throw. But, uh, yeah, that that was a situation that could have come up. So lots of interesting things with this restarted summer camp series. Savali looked good, uh, sounded good. Uh, 79 pitches, 54 for strikes. And like I said, he got into trouble against Bell, but he learned his lesson. Apparently, the next time Bell came up, he did not throw him a fastball. He only threw him breaking balls. He was like, I'm not messing with this guy. It reminds me of the way we used to treat Miguel Cabrera from Detroit with kid gloves, right? Like You just didn't want to throw him a fastball. There was even conversations about should you intentionally walk him every time he was up. And Bell might be that player for Pittsburgh this year where you're like, let's just walk this guy. Let's just... Let's just avoid it. So good start for Savali, a good tune-up before the season starts. All right, it's time to talk about what stood out for me. And the first inning stood out for me. Now, again, I'm just going on the radio broadcast from the Pirates radio station. But they kept talking about the shifts they were employing against our leadoff hitters. And it sounds like in that first inning, Jose Ramirez gets a single. Francisco Lindor gets a single. Santana reaches on a fielder's choice, scoring Jose Ramirez, and then Fermil Reyes gets a single. And the way they made it sound, it sounded like our Indians hitters kept beating their shifts, right? They'd shift left, we'd hit it right. We'd shift right, we'd hit it left, which is really encouraging. I mean, as someone who really, really, really loves coaching guys to use the whole field and use the middle of the field, being able to beat the shift in today's baseball game is crucial. If you can't kind of control the middle of the field and use that middle of the field, whether it's going left a second, right a second, beating that shift, you're going to struggle. And so seeing our guys doing that, especially in the first inning, 
you know, the Pirates, I'm sure, thought they had the right defensive strategy deployed. And that was really encouraging. And we, we scratch across two runs because of it. So uh, as much fun as it was to see the home runs, and we got home runs from Carlos Santana, we got home runs from Jose Ramirez, and we got a late one from Christian Arroyo, the, the kind of the security run in the ninth inning. Uh, I'm really encouraged by our guys beating that shift. Speaking of the home runs, uh, Carlos Santana, there was a really weird call. I don't know what happened on his home run. Uh, the Pirates announcers, it was an interesting listen. I think as Cleveland fans, we should be really happy and really lucky that we have Hammy and Rosie calling games for us on the radio because listening to this Pirates broadcast, I- I'm never going to complain about a Jim Rosenhaus inning ever again. Me and my brother have a joke. Every time I get in my car, every time I leave work late or I go to run an errand, it's always the Rosenhaus inning. Every time, guaranteed. I time it out with that fourth inning every time. But I'm never going to complain about it again because it was pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie. It was really rough listening to that Pirates broadcast. So that third inning, uh, Carlos Santana hits that home run. And I don't know if they didn't get a good look at it. I guess it was heading down the line. I guess he got out in front of a pitch, so they were expecting him to hook it foul. And it was the most nonchalant, lazy fly ball down the line. And it's probably going to go, oh, home run. Okay. He even apologized afterwards. He's like, I'm sorry that was such a nonchalant call, but I didn't know where that was going to go. So I, I, without seeing it, I don't know. Very strange. He did the same thing for Jose Ramirez's home run, and he did the same thing, thing for Christian Arroyo's home run. So uh, he does not like calling opposing teams home runs, I guess. And then their color guy spent the entire fourth inning telling a story about a pickup truck, and his friend used to drive him home in the bed of his pickup truck across the country. I, I he literally took the entire fourth inning to tell this story. I, I can't tell you what happened in the game almost because when the Indians were up, because all I heard was this truck story. Very bizarre broadcast. All right. The last thing that stood out to me, I talked about it in the first episode and the first summer camp game. And we're talking about it again here. Domingo Santana's defense. And again, just going off the broadcast last night, apparently Colin Moran in the fourth inning hit a very lazy pop-up to left field and Domingo Santana made no effort. Oh, I'm sorry to right field. Domingo Santana made very minimal effort to get to the ball and it just dropped in and I guess bounced up against the wall for a double. And the way they made it sound, it sounded like he had a very lazy approach to the ball, very lazy path to the ball was jogging they made it seem like any right fielder would have caught this ball. And that just can't happen. I mean, we have way too many good athletic outfielders on this team to let that happen. And I understand that Domingo Santana can get hot at the plate. You know, he was a 300 hitter for Seattle for a while. And I defense is too important. It's going to be too important to help this pitching staff out we need to play good defense behind them, right? That should be the strength of this team. And whether it be Zimmer out there or Naquin, those guys are going 120% after the ball. And I, I hate to see our team get weighed down by a terrible, a, a terrible defensive effort from Domingo Santana. 
So that's definitely what stood out for me last night during the game. My MVP for a day, I think I'm going to give it to Carlos Santana. Uh, He got us on the board first. He got that first uh, fielder's choice to drive that run in. Had two hits on the day, including that home run. uh, It was a go-ahead home run. It gave us the 3-2 lead. And we never look back from there. So Carlos Santana is definitely my MVP for a day. And it's good to see because I think he was a little quiet in the first few games. So to see him have some big hits in this game, it's nice to see. He came off a really strong season last year. Arguably, maybe his best season at the plate. Uh, 281, 34 home runs, 93 RBIs, and uh, an OPS of 9-11. And I believe it was his first all-star nod last year, so it's good to see. He's still got the pop. So uh, big things for Carlos Santana, hopefully. All right. That does it for the game last night. Other highlights, it's really hard without being able to see the game and just going off the broadcast. I don't really have any other highlights, but I did want to take a chance to look around the AL Central and see what have the other teams been doing. So uh, it looks like Minnesota only played one tune-up game, only one summer camp game against the Cubs last night. They lost 4-3, to three, and uh, to be honest, I, they, didn't, I, they didn't seem like they were doing all that much. A lot of offers in their lineup. Uh, Rosario, the only one with a multi-hit game. Um, Homer Bailey pitched for them last night. Three innings, four in runs, five hits. So I don't know why. I I tried looking, and I couldn't find any articles to explain why the Twins didn't play more tune-up games. That's all I got. The White Sox did play a couple. They played a couple against the Cubs, and then they played against Milwaukee last night. They ended up losing to the Brewers 5-3 to three last night. They look like they're they're looking a little hotter than the Twins do right now. Uh, They also played the Cubs. They beat the Cubs 5-3 in their last game, and they beat the Cubs 7-3 the day before. And weirdly, most of their runs all came in one inning in those. Uh, They scored five runs in the first to beat them 5-3. And then the 7-3 game, they scored six runs in the fifth inning. So uh, I think that's something maybe we have to look out for this year. We have to look out for the White Sox with that one big inning, right? So those crooked numbers that we talked about before. That's where defense comes into play. Good defense can shut down a rally, keep them at one run. So definitely we got to look out for the crooked numbers from the White Sox this year. And I know the Twins, you know, seem like the rival this year, but these White Sox, they've got a core of players, of young players, that we are going to have to deal with for a long time. Now, Tim Anderson's kind of like the face of the team right now. He's 27. I mean, 27, still pretty young. But then they got Luis Robert, 22. They got Johan Mancada, 25. And they got Eloy Jimenez, 23. That's a young core. That is a heck of a young core up at the plate. So we'll see if they can put together the pitching to compete with us this year. Because I think everybody, everybody's thinking that the Indians pitching staff is definitely, definitely what could take the division this year. I hope that the Indians pitching staff is what puts them over the top this year. Because there are a lot of young, good hitters. We know how good the lineup is in Minnesota. We know how many home runs those guys can hit. So I think we got to hope as Indians fans that it's our pitching staff that really separates us. And so far, the pitching looks really good. 
All right. Speaking of the roster and the pitching staff, that's my other news story from yesterday is the Indians announced their opening day roster. And usually there's a lot of hard decisions, but this year they're allowed to start with 30 players. So uh, we got some of the interesting decisions here. Uh, They kept three utility infielders. They kept Mike Freeman, they kept Christian Arroyo, and they kept Yu Chang. Now, in two weeks, they're going to have to trim that down to, I believe it was 28 or 27, and then they're going to have to trim it down to 26. So I think they go 30, 28, 26. And so we'll see. I'm guessing they're not going to keep all three utility infielders by the time they get to 26. But it's nice to see them start that way. Who knows? Who who knows which one of those three guys is going to prove to be the most reliable off the bench? And then they kept a lot of outfielders, too. They kept seven outfielders. Now, Fremil Reyes, I think they're thinking, is more the DH. So really six outfielders here. But Mercado's definitely starting at center. And it looks like against righties, it's going to be Naquin and Zimmer. And it looks like against lefties, it might be Domingo Santana and Jordan Luplo. He's he's got the players. I, I know they said they wanted to let Luplo bat against righties, but... He's got the players to keep his platoons going. So you know Terry Francona loves his platoons. And then uh, the starters are what you expect. Bieber, Clevenger, Carrasco, Savale, and Plesak. And then the relievers, actually not too many surprises here. So uh, a few. And we'll see how many of these guys make it all the way down to the 26 roster. But you got Brad Hand, Nit Wickren, James Karinchak, Oliver Perez, Adam Simber, and Adam Plutko. Those were the obvious ones. Phil Maiden, Dominic Leone, and Cam Hill all make the roster as relievers. So again, we'll see if Leone, Hill, Madden, we'll see how many of these guys are here once we chop the roster down to 26. But it sounds like a pretty decent bullpen. There's a lot to be positive and excited about here. I'm, you know, we'll see what happens with Brad Hand. I'm, I'm hoping that he just bounces back and he continues to be that lights-out closer that we need him to be. Now, the other huge news story, which I'm just going to mention for a second, is Moogie Betts signed a huge 12-year, $365 million extension, including the one-year deal he's on right now for $27 million, and brings the total to 13 years, $392 million. And it basically puts him uh, second, gives him the second biggest deal in MLB history behind Mike Trout. And between Trout's deal and Harper's deal and Betts's deal and Garrett Cole's deal and even Manny Machado's deal last year, I think it's pretty obvious what the price tag is on Francisco Lindor. So, would the Indians ever give him a $360 million contract for 12 years? I mean, we'd all love to see it. We all understand the Dolan's financial situation. In a perfect world, yes. In this current world, it'll be interesting. I I want them to still be able to be flexible and be able to bring guys in and fill up a roster. And I don't want to be in a situation like Pittsburgh's in where all they have is Josh Bell. Now that's a completely different situation. But still, a lineup constructed where it's around one star player and not much else around them. Now, the Dodgers have clearly unlimited amounts of resources, and they could just sign these mega contracts and not worry about it. (sighs) Let's focus on the game on the field. Let's focus and enjoy Francisco Lindor playing baseball for the Indians, and whatever happens, happens.
All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from last night in Pittsburgh, Cleveland 5, Pirates 3. We'll be back Saturday morning for the Indians home opener against the Kansas City Royals, and I'm incredibly excited for that. I love opening day. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show and we'll play them back on air. Respond to your thoughts and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.